The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is God's word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we just thank you for today. Thank you that we get to be here, um, gathered together, where many places um, around the world, they can't gather in your name, Lord. And I just thank you for what a blessing and a gift it is to come to church on Sunday. I pray for every heart that is here today, Lord, whatever... um, Whatever they need to hear from you, Lord, whatever healing and whatever truth that their hearts are seeking, Lord, I pray that they hear that today. I pray that you speak through Randall. I pray that it's your word and your truth that comes through him, God. I thank you for the space and this time and for everyone that is here. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Byron. All right, good morning. Um, if this is your new time, or first time to Grace City, welcome. Uh, my name is Randall, and uh, last week, uh, me and Byron were running a race, and so we ran in a half marathon, and it wasn't just to race or to, to be in a half marathon, but it was, it was for a purpose. Uh, we were running for Ecuador, and so one of the things, the initiatives that we're looking at at the end of the year is to plant a church, be a part of planting a church in Ecuador uh, through Compassion International and Stadia. So we're very excited about that. And December 11th is going to be the day where we're going to come together as a church and give towards that and uh, we just see what God does, you know. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. Last week ran this race. And I never saw myself running a half marathon. You've probably done things that you never saw yourself doing before. But, um, you know, God pushes you into this direction where you say, man, this is, this is further than I thought I'd go, but it's, it's so much better, you know. It's so much better to go in that direction. And so I'm thankful to be back. At the end of the day, like, I I would rather be here than running a half marathon, and so I'm glad to be back with you this morning. And uh, we're going to be continuing in our series called Unbroken. And just to share a little bit about what this series is about, if you're just joining us, is this series is about how Jesus pursues the broken in this world. Right? Jesus has this unbroken pursuit, like this passion, this drivenness, like I'm going to pursue the broken in this world. And what we learn about Jesus is this, that he is not afraid to go toward the messy, the misfits, the outcasts, the hurting. You think about this. When you're around somebody who's hurting, who's in deep, deep hurt, It's hard to know what to say. It's hard to know what to do. And so a lot of the times what we do is we try and avoid it. I'll help you from a distance. But what Jesus does is he runs towards the brokenness. He pursues 
the hurting. I was having a coffee with uh, my friend this past week, Josh, and um, you know, we were talking about how Jesus does this. And he was painting this picture, you know, you, you see Jesus, and he's sitting around, and, and one of the things that Jesus was accused of, if, if, if you, you know, you don't know much about Jesus, Jesus was accused of hanging out with the people in society who they would say, that, that's not the people you should be hanging out with. And so we see Jesus in this picture, and he's painting this picture, and he's saying, Jesus is with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners. And then he asked me this question, he said, you know, who... Who do you see yourself as in this picture? And a lot of the times, what we do is we picture ourselves being like Jesus, right? Oh yeah, well I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, I'm hanging out with all the hurting and the broken people, and so I'm just, I'm Jesus. But what he said is, he said, you know, you're not Jesus or I'm not Jesus. We're the hurting, we're the tax collector, we're the sinner, we're the prostitute, that's us. And Jesus has invited us to come to the table. See, that's what we're talking about in this series. And for those of us who think, man, I, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if I'm that person. I would just like to show you like in scripture where the people who were standing on the outsides judging were the ones who thought they had their lives all together. They didn't think they had any mess. They didn't think they had any, any brokenness in their life. And so we're either at the table or we're standing off to the side, scoffing those who are. So this morning, it's an invitation to the table. Come to the table. It's for all of us, broken, misfits, outcasts, hurting. That's us. And so our text today is John eleven seventeen through 27. And, and the message is unbroken promise. Unbroken promise. Today's scene is um, a scene in this text of if. Jesus, if you had been here. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. On the surface, it can come across as this. Like, Jesus, where were you? Why weren't you there for me? Right, it's the cry that we have many times in our hearts. Like, Jesus, where, where were you? I was expecting you to be there. It's much like modern uh, poet, philosopher Justin Bieber says, where are you now that I need you? <laughs> right, like, th th that's, that's what it is. It's the cry of our hearts. We're calling out, you, you know you listen to him. I, it, it relates. Uh, but... How many of us have felt like that? How many of us can resonate with that? God, I was there for you. Why aren't you there for me? See, look at verse 17. This is where it really messes us up. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. What we learned earlier from the text is that Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick and he could die. And four days, Days after Lazarus had been laid in the tomb, Jesus arrives. What took Jesus so long? Uh, we find out in verse 6, he purposely stayed two more days after getting word of Lazarus' sickness. Now, 
when you think about Hebrew culture, because when, when we read the Bible, we can't read it in just the westernized, modern mindset. We need to think back, like what, what were they thinking during that time? Well, during that time in, in Hebrew culture, rabbis would say that if you were in the grave more than three days, there's no way that you could come back. It's not possible. There, there's no way. They, they had this belief that your spirit hovers over the body. So there, maybe there's some potential that you could come back. It's kind of a weird thing that they believed. But four days, that's, that's way too many days for that to happen. So there's definitely no coming back for Lazarus. Jesus, where were you? Did he break his promise to his friends? To be there after they called to him, Jesus, come back did he just miss the message and not hear them? On the surface, Martha's response kind of looks a little shallow to us. But as we dig deeper today, and that's what we're going to do, it's very deep. It's very deep. See, God never breaks promises. He actually enjoys coming through radically to show us how much he loves us. But many times it's not what we're expecting. It's not the way that we're expecting it to be. All of us have felt the effects of broken promises before, right? I mean, since we were small. Uh, think of kids. They, they, they hang on every promise and even come up with things that you never said that you were going to promise, right? And, and what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll say like, hey, you promised this, and then what the response is is like, I've never promised that. And they, well, you said you were going to do that. Any of us around young kids, we, we know that. And, and what happens is we, we try to manipulate, right, this response. Like, well, you said you would, and so you need to, and they'll kind of put you into this corner, right? Like, I've got three kids, and that's what they do. They're like, paint you in this corner, like, Dad, you said you were going to do this. And what happens is many times we do this with God. Right, right, like in our flesh, in our sinful nature, like all of us have tried to do this to God. We say, well, we, we want this, and we, we need you to come through on this, and this is the end result I was expecting, and so we put pressure on God. God, you promised. You promised this. But did he promise that? Many of us have asked for security, and we say, God, you promised you're going to protect me, and this is what security looks like for me, and so you're not coming through on that. Fame, right? Like I thought I was going to be a little bit more further, uh, further along than I am right now. Success. The Cubs to win. Right? Like it, it happened last night, but like I've been praying for this for years. <laughs> See, we think those are going to be the, the, the solutions to the problem that we have. And, and really God knows better. Every time he knows better. It says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so God knows better. And uh, there's an author, Cynthia Heimel. Uh, and here's what she once said. This is interesting. She says, I think when God wants to play a rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. Here's what she writes. And she hung out with these people before they were famous. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose. 
Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with the personal fulfillment and happiness had happened, and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. See, in the end, we can't trust our if. Like, if this happened, we can't trust it. And so what Jesus does is he says, I need to recalibrate your life and give you a better view that's from my perspective. Because earlier he says, as he found out about Lazarus, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There is a better that he's pushing us to while on the surface we're saying, I just want that shallow thing. I just want that promise. God, you gotta come through with that promise. No, just like a good parent, good father, right, comes into our life, he says, no. I want to teach you through this. I want something better for you than what's on the surface. On the topic of promises, there was a TED Talk from 2013 called Because I Said I Would by Alex Sheen. And if you haven't seen it, it's actually a really good um, talk. And, and what he talked about was how his father, one of the things he remembered about his father was that his father would always keep his promise. And he says, you know, I wasn't very good at keeping my promises. And so what I did is I just got this little card. And it says, because I said I would. And I would just write these promises down and try to keep them. And so I just started spreading that to people and it just kind of went viral, right? And I think part of it, what he said is the reason it went viral is because we all know that we can't keep the promises that we make. And so we try, we try, we try. But at the end of the day, we need something better. We need someone that's better that can actually keep their promises. And so today, what's Jesus' because I said I would for you? Do you know the real promises of God and are you able to lean into those when you go through the difficulties of life? Because right now, Martha and Mary are going through the difficulties. They just lost their brother. Are you able to lean into the promises? Because that's what we'll see in this text today. And so our text is John 11, 17 through 27. How does Jesus navigate us through what we would call the letdowns of life? It's three steps. It's, and so it starts with these. So first, it's a unique approach. Second, it's an honest dialogue. And third, it's a better promise. A unique approach, an honest dialogue, a better promise. And so the first point, a unique approach. And so let's, let's look at verses 17 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, on his arrival, Jesus uh, found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. So this is a difficult time for, for Martha and Mary. We, we learned that from the text. They just lost their brother. There are people traveling to come to them. This is a big deal. There's people pretty far out that are coming to be with them. And as we, uh, as Jesus approached the scene, what we see is that Martha went out to him. 
Mary stayed home. And what we see is that Jesus uniquely approaches both of them. See, as Jesus is coming on the scene, many times what we think is, well, Jesus, you only do this cookie-cutter approach to people. It's like, this is the box. This is how you approach people, just like we do, right? We have this specific way of how we approach people. Well, everybody should fit into my way of how I talk or think or whatever. And so the approach that Jesus gives is he comes in, but he sees that Martha comes running out to him. She went to him. Mary stayed home. Now, what we don't see in this text is Jesus judging Mary for staying home. Well, where's Mary at? Why is she not here? What, 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 what's, what's, what's going on with Mary right now? And she's going through a difficult time. She should really be here. Right? Jesus isn't laying a guilt trip on Mary, but he's speaking with Martha and, and the approach that she offered to him. So all she needed was Jesus to just show up and that would be the thing that would get her outside of her house to him. What we see later in the text is that she, Martha, as she had talked with Jesus, goes back and says, the rabbi, Jesus, is calling for you. And then she comes out. See, Jesus approached them uniquely in the way that they needed at that particular, in, in that particular instance. The thing we learn about Jesus is he doesn't have cookie-cutter, cliches, responses to pain. And neither should we. Neither should we. He approaches them uniquely and gives them space for what they need. Os Guinness said this very well. He says, Jesus never spoke to two people the same way, and neither should we. Every single person is unique and individual and deserves an approach that respects that uniqueness. What we need to know is that Martha needed what Jesus gave her in that moment. Mary was about to receive what Jesus was going to give her, but he didn't give it this cliche type of response, right? Same way we should approach pain, hurt. We're all different. That's part of being the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei is the image of God, right? Think about the vastness and the creativity of God and how he's created you and me and all of us. That's why he said, like, we're the body of Christ. We're all different, unique, specific. God understands that. And so some ways that you're going to respond to pain is just going to be different than others. I, I'm learning this with my, with my kids. I, I, I took my two girls, had them on Friday, so I took them over to Chick-fil-A. I said, great, they're going to love this. They love Chick-fil-A. So we go in, Chick-fil-A, and um, one of the things I had promised, I said, you know, we're going to go inside of the Chick-fil-A, and, and we're going to go into the play area. So you guys can go into the play area, have a great time. Um, and so I got them their food, and we all sat down at the table, and we're eating. I kind of divvied up the food. I said, okay, you got you what you wanted, got you what you wanted, okay? And, and here's, here's Daddy's particular stipulation on this. Like, I know you want to go inside the play area, but you're going to need to eat your food. That's it. You're going to need to eat your food. And um, so I start eating my food, and my middle one, Elle, looks at me, and she's, her eyes are big. 
she's, she, she's on the verge of tears. I'm like, what's going on here? What's happening? And um, she said, Daddy, you scary. I said, what are you talking about? I, all I said was like, here's the plan. Here's what we're doing. Like, you're going to eat your food, and then you're going to go in there, and well, it, it'll be fine. It was like, but Dad, you scared me. And my other daughter, Ava, she's younger. She's just kind of like, whatever. And she's like, I was just going to eat my food and go inside <laughs> there, and it was going to be cool, you know? And I said, well, what, what did I, I'm like, oh, you're scaring me. You're scaring me right now. What's, go, what's going on? And so we're scaring each other. And, and my youngest, Ava, is kind of trying to dialogue with both of us saying, hey, okay, Daddy, you scared Elle. And Elle, you're scaring Daddy. And so just kind of need to come together on this. What I'm, what I'm realizing is I, I can't speak the same way to my kids. Right? Like Elle needs something different than Ava. And so I, if I'm going to be sensitive, like you, you could be like, oh, well, that, that's just over the top. You, should, you shouldn't really cater to your kids like that. Well, maybe, but what I see is there's a father in heaven who does that for me. He cares about me like that. He doesn't cookie cutter and speak to me that specific way that it's going to speak to maybe somebody else. So how can I learn to become more like my father in heaven? How can I be, learn to become more like Jesus? And I'm in the process. I'm a work in process. But here's the thing. It's a unique approach. It starts with that unique approach. And so that's who, who Jesus is. The, the cool thing about Jesus, he doesn't have to work on it. Right? Like, I got to work on it. He doesn't have to work on it. And so that's just the beauty of who he is. Uh, the, the second point that we find out in this text is an honest dialogue. Verses 21 through 24. So let's read through this real quick. 21 through 24. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you have uh, had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Her first response, and just as this is the thing that came out for her, is verse 21, which is Lord. Lord. Now this term was used earlier in verse 3 and, and really it's, it's the same word. It's curious. And, and what it means is it referred to Jesus as, as Lord. She, out of respect. Like what she's saying is, okay Jesus, you're the master and I'm the disciple. Through all the things that I don't understand right now, through all of the Things with my brother and why you didn't come back earlier. Okay, you're still Lord. Is that hard for us today? Right, like when things aren't matching up with what we thought, are we still able to come to him and say like, okay, you're, you're Lord. Because as she's having honest dialogue, that's what's happening. Let's start with, started with this. It, this revealed her heart. As hurt as she was, she did not disrespect Jesus. Verse 21 and 22, she says, you know, if you had been here, so that, there's that if, like if you had been here, it didn't happen, but I know. I know. 
see, again, in the Bible, like this knowledge of something is like, it's not just like knowing something here, but knowing something here. It's knowing that he's got something better. It's a lot of digging. That's a lot of digging to get to this place. This, again, revealed that what she believed. She recognized that if Jesus was there, he could have healed Lazarus. Like, he could do this. And even though it didn't happen, she still has confidence in Jesus. All right, that thing that, that, I, that I thought was going to happen, that dream that's out there, that didn't happen. I still believe in you. I still have confidence in you even though it didn't happen. Again, honest dialogue. Verse 23, all Jesus does through this is he listens. He listens to her heart. He asks, and, and then he responds. Jesus' listening and responding creates space for this honest dialogue. Again, do you believe that Jesus is someone that we can come to and have an honest dialogue with? Because this is a little bit more clean, right? This isn't as messy like she's got this place where she's, she has this faith. But for, for those of us who are broken, who are messy, who, are, who don't have that type of faith yet, does Jesus invite that type of dialogue too? Yes. Read through the Psalms. Read through the Psalms. He has space for tears. He has space for grieving. He has space for hurts, for pains, for all of those things. Like for you to have that type of conversation with him, yes honest. Because let's be straight. These types of moments push us into the most honest types of conversations that we can have with God, doesn't it? Like you cut all the fluff away and it's kind of like your filters all come down. But some of us who have this like very like religious mindset of who God is, are like, well, I can't say that to God or I can't do this. But again, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Like you can come, you can lay these things at his feet he knows your heart better than you do. You can either act and, and try to persuade, like, this is who I am. This is what I think. But before God, you are laid bare. There is no hiding from him. Jesus looks for honesty. And you can have that type of dialogue with God. And for us, it happens through prayer. It happens through prayer. See, a lot of the frustrations that we feel, the, a lot of the things where we just start dumping on other people is because we're not praying. We, we, one of the things in, in the, the Psalms is it says that God is our refuge. God is our home. Like, he's our protection. Like, the, he says, I'm the door. So, so when you have frustrations and feelings of doubt and struggle, like, do you see the door and that he's inviting you in? It's like, come find a home in me. Come pray. That's, that's why we have these city groups and we're like, no, we're gonna pray. Amen. We're gonna pray. We're gonna stick to this and we are gonna pray because we need to be a praying people. Not because it's like, ooh, like praying people, great, great job. Like, no, it's because you and I need it. We need it. We, we need to, to have honest dialogue with God. And what we find next is this. This is the beautiful part, a better promise. A better promise. And so look at verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. See, as Jesus comes and, and he enters into this scary situation where she's going through all these struggles, it's like he's pursuing her. He's not just pursuing Martha, he's pursuing Mary too, through the tragedy of losing their brother, and they end up receiving a better promise, and they walk away with a growth and a faith that's deeper than the one they had before. Who is it that's after us becoming deeper people, more genuine people, more real people? God. If it wasn't for God in my life, I'd be too scared to be authentic. I'd be too scared to be real. I'd be too scared to be vulnerable because it hurts and it is scary. But when I find that there's a God who I can come to honestly have these conversations with, I find that I become a deeper person and there's a better promise through it. What Jesus says, the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. See, all of this was for the glory of, of the Son. All of this was for the glory of God. And, and when the glory of God becomes a real thing in our lives, when Jesus' glory becomes more glorious than our personal glory, you actually get to experience something that's a better promise than what you thought would have been that thing. Right? Like you get to this place where it's so much deeper and better. And so what Jesus is saying is like, okay, resurrection. I am the resurrection. Because right now you've got, you've got dreams that are out there that are dead dreams. There's no way that this could ever happen. But what if the resurrection power of Jesus came into those dreams? Because in him, it's, it's not just like being raised up on the last day, but he's actually resurrecting your life now. It's not this future tense, it's a present tense. Personal resurrection. See, where you thought that my life was over, where I didn't have anything to offer, where Jesus, I'm just kind of done. I'm gonna hold back till I go to heaven and be with you. Like, no, there is none of that in Jesus's world. He's saying no. If you start looking towards a better promise, I will resurrect something that's so much more beautiful than what you had dreamed up in your little mind, right? Like, oh, great, like this little world. Like, no, things start opening up. Again, things go from black and white to color. It's vivid, it's beautiful, it spreads. That's what he does. I am the resurrection. See, what Jesus was about to do was temporary. Like he raised Lazarus, but at that point he didn't resurrect Lazarus. The difference between it is re Lazarus was gonna die again. Like as miraculous as this is, like they raised a dead dude, but he's gonna die again. Resurrection is forever. It's eternal. It lasts. 
What Jesus is about to do is eternal, and that's ultimately better. Commentator D.A. Carson writes, he says, ordinary mortal life ebbs away. The life that Jesus gives never ends. It is in that sense that whoever lives and believes will never die. Right? This is the thing that, again, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the thing that had Christians singing to their deaths as they're about to face the lions. Like, what is it? Why, how do you do that? It's because you know that your life is not over. It only gets better from here. Right? And so that's what Jesus does. Famous German poet Rainer Maria Rilke said, Death is our friend, precisely because it brings us into absolute and passionate presence with all that is here, that is natural, that is love. Here's the deal the Bible doesn't tell us that it's our friend, it tells us that it's our enemy. But it also tells us that the enemy has been defeated. Right? Like, it's not like this, like, I've I've had to do funerals as a pastor. It is not your friend. I, I've, I've cried my eyes out as, I, as I've stood there doing funerals. But what I know is, is that there is a resurrection. That's our hope. It's our enemy, but the enemy has been defeated. And so some takeaways for today. What's, what's Jesus's because I said I would for you? Three takeaways. The first one is this. Learn the promises. Learn the promises. Uh, this is about knowledge, right? Like learning them. Like look at what Martha goes back to in verse 24. Something that Jesus had said to her before at some point. He had to have told her about the resurrection. He had to have said something to her, and so she remembered. And she, as she looked at her brother dying, she had to have say, said to herself, because she says it to Jesus, like, I know that there's going to be something better. She remembered it. And so she learned that. How many of us can remember the promises of God when things get hard? Because things will get hard. There will be hard times. There will be moments like a Mary and Martha where they lose their brother. This will happen. The question is not if, but what will you go back to? What will you lean into? Learn the promises because those are the eternal things that will get us through the temporary. Um, 1 Peter 3 through 4 and 8 through 9 is, is a pretty incredible passage, but it says, basically, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the, his precious and very great promises. So what it's saying is that God has gifted you and me with his great and precious promises. Well, I thought I was going into life unequipped. I thought I, I didn't really know. Like, hold on. So he's given those to me? Yes. They are free to you and me as believers today that we can sit in the promises of God. Not just to know them. Listen to this. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It's not so that you can know them. It's so that you can escape. Escape those moments of feeling like all I've got is this 
temporary promise. All I've got is to lean into this. He's saying, no, you can lean into me. You can learn from me. You can be guided by me. And then he goes into 8 and 9, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. How many of us as believers today are living nearsighted lives because we don't know the promises? We're not leaning into those. We're not learning those. And we keep leaning into the things that we know. We keep leaning into the things that we think this world says, okay, this is how you need to live. He's saying, learn something new. Don't be nearsighted. Don't, don't, don't live in this temporariness anymore. Like, see that I've got something better for you. And then what will happen is you'll actually be fruitful in life. It's not just for certain people to be fruitful in life. It is for every believer in Jesus to be fruitful in life. It's for all of us here, not just to sit in a room like this and say, man, that's a great point, but to go out and be fruitful and be a blessing to others. He has equipped you with everything you need. Everything you need for life and godliness, like, oh man, I don't have that. He's already given it to you. His divine power, the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, I gave that to you. What's your excuse? Go out there and be a blessing to others. The next is, okay, you learn the promises, speak the promises. This is about being intentional here, okay? And so I love this quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's a book called Spiritual Depression, and basically in this book, the premise is, why are there so many joyless Christians walking around? Why are there so many depressed Christians? Like, what is up with that? What he calls it, he says, this is spiritual depression. And and this is what he says, this amazing insight. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. Or you, you have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc., Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. We're not all, you know, you're like, oh man, I don't talk to myself. Yes, you do. I do it myself. Sometimes it comes out loud, right? Like my wife catches me and she's like, you're talking to yourself. But other times it's just like, it's in here, right? So it's always happening. So I just want to say that, like it's all of us. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42, so look up Psalm 42, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressed, uh, depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. When was the last time you spoke to yourself? When yourself was telling you things that weren't true. You know it happens. It rattles around in there. It is in there. It wants to tear you down. When was the last time you spoke a promise from what God has already given, like the precious promises? When did you speak that? The last time to yourself when you were feeling depressed. The last is act on the promises. This is about experience. Act on the promises. Like as you step out, right? Like you, you're honest and, and what happens next is that 
Mary and Martha were able to experience the resurrection of their brother. But they had to go through this process before they could get there. And so they had to act, they had to step in faith and follow Jesus to the tomb. We don't know what's going to happen at the tomb. What we found there was Jesus weeping and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. You and I, if we want to experience those types of moments, we just got to follow Jesus. You got to act on this. Like we, we know these things to be true, but will you step when he calls you to come? Follow me to the tomb. Let's go. Let's see this thing that was dead and now it's going to be alive because I'm going to raise it. You got to follow him there. It's a part of taking steps. As I wrap up today, there was a, there was a film called uh, Three Seasons. There, there was this, it was a series of vignettes um, about life in post-war Vietnam. And um, one of the stories that's told in, in this movie series is a story about this young man named Hay. And Hay uh, was one of those rickshaw bike drivers. You know, he would drive people like kind of like the taxi through the city. So he would ride this bike through. And, and he saw this one girl that he eventually fell in love with. Her, her name's Lon. And, and as Hay saw Lon, the, the, the promises of, of, of what could be just filled his heart. He saw her. He just falls in love with her. But Lon was a prostitute. And so at night, she would go and she would meet all these men and he would be the ones that would ride, drive her to the hotel, drop them off, and then ride off. And, and he's like, man, if, if life could be better. See, her dreams and her promises never came fulfilled because her dream was that she could, she could be in a better place than she was. She, she never spent the whole night in, a, in that hotel. It was only for a moment. And then she was done with, cast to the side broken. Both of them dreamed of a better day, and so this guy, hey, he, you know, he, he entered this competition. And the competition was all of these rickshaw bicycle guys would race through the city, and whoever won the race would be able to have a whole lot of money to be able to afford whatever they wanted. And he says, I'm going to go in that race, and I'm going to win. And so he goes to the race and, and he's this underdog and he ends up winning the race. And he gets all this money. And the first thing he does is he goes to Lon and he says, Lon, I love you. And he pays for the hotel and he pays for her fee for the night. And he takes her to the hotel room and he says, I love you and I just want you to rest. And he just sat there and watched her sleep as she was able to experience the thing that she'd always hoped for. That was so much better than the promise that she thought she had in her mind. It was this promise that she would be loved. And do you see Jesus do you see him standing there as they're weeping at the tomb? Saying, how is my dead brother going to be raised again? And he says, it's going to take me dying for him to live, truly live.
And he says, I'll run the race. I'll do the thing that, that it's going to take for, for us to have a better promise than for him just to be raised today, but for him to be raised forever. And do you know that promise is all the way back in Genesis 3.15? It was all the way back there. Very first book of the Bible as the, the hammer came down, as sin entered into the world, there was one, it says that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Do you know who that is? It's Jesus. The one whose heel was bruised was Jesus, but the one whose head was bruised was the enemy. Satan, death, all of those things. And so I'm gonna end with this because he did it. Jesus did it. Hebrews 12, one through three. I'm gonna read this in the message. Here's what it says. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You wanna know that's what's gonna keep you going? When you don't see the promise clearly, and you gotta know that there's a better promise, it's looking over the story of Jesus. Looking over the gospel again and again and again, preaching it to yourself that there's a better story, and it's being told through him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you ran the race completely, and that you are seated on the throne. That there's nothing that we have done to earn it, but it's purely by grace. And that, Father, we can't do it. We can't run this race until we see you, until we receive your power, your strength in us. And so we pray that the power of Jesus will be revealed clearly through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.